If you are here today, um, you are, are um, in need of spending time in God's Word. Every one of us needs to spend time in God's Word. Every one of us needs to be uh, involved in God's Word. So I want you to make sure that you know that we're reading from the Word of God. So I want you to take your Bible. Can follow along with us in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first six verses. I want to start a series of walking through the book of Philippians today. I want us to begin looking at what Paul is writing to us and teaching us through this wonderful book called the Letter to the Philippians. Now, the Philippians were a group of believers that were of Gentile belief. And uh, uh, these were a group of believers that Paul put his life into. And as he is in a very precarious place in his life, Paul finds himself at, at a very particular place as he writes this letter. Paul is in prison. Paul is, is under the understanding that life is coming to a near end for him, that he may be put to death for his faith in Christ. And Paul begins closing out his life with some letters to some churches that he has poured his heart and soul into. And the Philippians are one of those churches. And this is a powerful letter, and I challenge you uh, this week to take the time to go ahead and read. The, it's a very small letter, it's just a few chapters long, but it's got a lot of meat and a lot of purpose in it. And I challenge you to, to go back and read it with me over and over again as we look through it. So, as we begin our series of messages through the book of Philippians, it is a positive book. It is a practical book. It is a book filled with joyous expressions. In fact, joy is probably one of the most prominent themes throughout its pages. However, I want you to understand this morning that it is not really the major theme of this letter. I would say that the major theme of this letter is being partners in the gospel. Yes, Philippians are partners in the gospel together. Now I want to talk to you just for a moment before I read the scripture about partnership. I want to talk to you about the fact that in the last couple of years we've seen due to COVID and through all of the, the, the issues that our nation has gone through, the church, perhaps more than any other institution, has taken the greatest hit. We have taken the greatest loss among the attendants. Now, I was asked the question this week, how many are still watching online? And the truth of the matter is, I don't know. I don't know how many that were watching. When we first started out, there was hundreds of people watching. And we had people watching all around the world. But over time, it's become something that is boring. It's become something that, you know, we can do at a later time. And many people have phased out and faded out. And I want you to look around and see that even this morning, and I know that some of our folks that are normally here are out. They've called me and told me that they couldn't be here this week. 
But I want you to see that there are plenty of empty seats and, and there was a time not very long ago that there was not an empty seat. And what that says to me is I want you to understand something. This year I have uh, come to the conclusion that this is a year of rebuild. And we're going to talk a little bit about that rebuild process. But, but here's the thing I want you to hear this morning as I was preparing this message, the thing that kept coming back to me, partnership. It is a partnership of rebuilding. It means that it's not something that I can do alone, Josh can do alone. It's not something that we can do from staff level alone. It's something that we have to partner with. We're partnering with you and you need to partner with us that if we're going to reach out, if we're going to build back, if we're going to, to get people to fit in these pews again, sit there so they're hearing the gospel, we all have got to partner together in the work of Christ. And I want you to hear that this morning. I want you to understand that God's not finished yet. Thank God He's not finished yet. And that He still has a work for us to do. And I'm calling us to a partnership together today. So would you stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul starts off with an introduction to the gospel. Turn some of those lights back on so they can see their Bibles. They're holding them. Thank you. All right, and, and the Apostle Paul says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the words that the Apostle Paul begins his letter to the Philippians with, to a church that, that needed not only words of, uh, of positivity, not only words of encouragement, but words of instruction, words of hope, words of, uh, uh, that would, would hold them together during the uncertainties of time. Lord, we stand in need of those very same words today as God's people. We're living in very uncertain times. And Lord, we need to stand strong in partnership together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Father, would you move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross and let your word speak unto us today and let it fill this place and draw your people closer to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I want you to know that it's good news that God is not finished with us yet. Because let's face it, if we take a look at the condition of our world around you, if we take a look at the condition of the church today, if we even take a look, honest look, at the condition of our own lives, if this were the end of the story, we would all be in great trouble. But it's not the end of the story. God is still working on us. God is not finished yet. And there is encouraging news. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi to help them in their Christian walk and to encourage them in the partnership of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
when Paul could have been whining and complaining about his faithfulness to God all of these days, and yet where does he find himself but in prison and, and waiting for a certain death? He gives to the church words of encouragement, words of hope, words of, of reality that, that do not give up. Do not quit now. God is still at work. There's still things left to be done. We're looking at these first six verses in Philippians this morning, and we want to look at three main truths that we find in these verses. The first truth is that we're all partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second truth is that we are all a work in progress in Jesus Christ. And the third truth is that God will finish His work in you through Jesus Christ. So let's look together at verses 1 and 2. We're all partners in the gospel. So let's begin with truth number 1, that you and I are in partnership together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a part of the church, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have been born again, you are a partner in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's take a closer look at what Paul was saying in verse 1. Paul said, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. I want you to see that first of all, the gospel brings people of different backgrounds together. We looked a little bit at this last week when I began this uh, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, because in Acts chapter 16 is the beginning of Paul's ministry to the church of Philippi, and it gives us some insight as to who the people of the church at Philippi was. We don't have time to go back and dig into it, so again, I would challenge you, as you're reading the letter of Philippians, go back and read first chapter 16 of Acts in its entirety. I'm just going to give you a highlight of some of the people that we see in the book of Acts in chapter 16. First of all, we're introduced to a lady by the name of Lydia. She was a wealthy, high-status woman who dealt in purple cloth. And as we talked last week, there was, of course, the Philippian jailer and his family who would have been considered from the very lower ranks of society. And then, of course, there is another in there that is one of the lowest ranks of society, a slave girl in whom Paul cast out demons. There were Gentiles who were formerly worshipers of the Jewish God, as well as those who were former pagans. Like any church, you have a group of people from various diverse backgrounds, who have all come together because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a great unifier of society. People from different social, racial, economic backgrounds all gather together in churches across this world and are united through one purpose, and it is through Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3, Paul says in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul reminds us that it is not about our racial or our, our, our gender or our economic 
that when we come to the place of the house of the Lord as believers in Jesus Christ, we are all one in the Lord. You see, the one great equalizer is the cross of Jesus Christ. We all must come to the cross at the same level. We are all sinners in need of a salvation. And we are in need of a Savior who died upon a cross. The gospel brings people from different backgrounds together. This morning I asked you to stand up, turn around, and wave to your neighbor. I hope that you remember who your neighbor was. I want you to think about that just for a moment. Look around. And when I look out at the church every Sunday morning, I see a diverse group of people. I see people from all walks of life and areas of life. There's Yankees and there's Southerners and there's, you know, um, rednecks and there's city folk and there's all kinds of different folks in the church every week. And then there's Keg. So there you go. So, I mean, it just goes to show you that everybody is welcome. The gospel brings us together. The thing that we need to understand is that not only does the gospel bring all different folks together, we are all saints in Christ Jesus. Now, the second thing I want you to see that Paul, from Paul's greeting is that we're all saints in Christ Jesus. Paul addressed his letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. By the way, you don't even have to be dead to be a saint. Now, I grew up being told that uh, if you ever wanted to reach the level of saint, you had to do two things. You had to do something miraculous, something spectacular in this life. And the second thing that you had to do was you had to be dead. Okay? You were never going to reach sainthood until you had first done something miraculous, spectacular, and then you died off. Well, according to the Word of God, that's not what a saint is at all. According to the Word of God, everybody that comes to know Jesus Christ because of His cleansing power, because of His grace, because of His mercy, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are all saints in Him. Now, the Apostle Paul reminds us here, he writes to all saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So what he is saying is a saint is not a super spiritual Christian who was assigned some super spiritual task. The Bible says that we're all saints. All believers are saints and we have been set apart for the gospel of Christ. There's not super Christians and then normal Christians. We're all saints in Christ Jesus. And then the third thing that we see from his introduction here is who he's writing to. He says that he's writing to both leaders and lay people because we're all partners together. The third thing that you will need to understand is that Paul didn't just write to the preachers and say, preachers and, and, and deacons, you've got to get your act together. You've got to get back to work. You've got to be doing all of this. It's all on your shoulders. No, the Apostle Paul writes his letter and he says, I'm writing to the saints. Oh, by the way, the saints are you all and me. But he's writing to the saints and to the leadership, the pastors and the deacons. 
He's writing to remind us that it takes more than just a staff to do the work of the gospel. It takes everybody in partnership together to accomplish the task that God has set before us. The very evidence that Paul shares with us is that he had said, Paul, an apostle, he could have said, I want you to know I'm speaking as the apostle Christ of Christ, as he often did. He could have said, Paul, the person who shared the gospel with you that founded this very church, you have a responsibility. He could have pulled rank, but he didn't. The letter is all about being in partnership in the gospel. So Paul emphasizes that he and Timothy are on equal ground with the saints and the leaders of that church. We're partners together. But partners in what? Partners in the gospel. Look at Paul's greeting in verse 2. Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This was Paul's favorite greeting to those whose lives have been changed by the gospel. Emphasizing God's grace in salvation and the peace that comes through God who, who brings that peace through none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. The peace that God bestows upon us is a peace unlike any other. The world offers peace momentarily, but then fills it with horror. God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. So what do we see from Paul's greeting in verses 1 and 2? First, that we're all partners in the gospel together. That the gospel brings different groups of people together for the common goal of sharing the gospel with a world that is different. And third, that it takes both the leaders and the congregation to agree together that we're going to work together in going out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you expect your staff to be the one to knock on every door, to make every phone call, to follow up with every visitor, and do everything else that needs to be done in the church, it's not going to happen. We all need to realize that we need to work together. And then in verses 3 through 5, Paul reminds us that we are all a work in progress. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God's not finished with me yet. I looked in the mirror this morning, and I saw that there are still some things that need to be worked on. There are some areas that need to be improved upon. And I'm glad that God has not said, well, I'm done with you. I hope that you're good enough. But that he said, I am still working on you. The second truth that we need to see from the Apostle Paul this morning is found in verses 3 and through 5, and that God is continuing to do a good work in us because we have received the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the beginning. It is not the end. Listen, my friends, for those of you that think that all I need to do is get saved and then I've arrived, you've missed the point of the gospel. The gospel is not the arrival. The gospel is the train that sets us on the track that gets us down the highway so that we can reach the goal that God has set for us. Paul is thankful for all of the saints. 
Look at verse 3. First of all, he says, I thank my God upon every time I remember you. Paul says that he thanks God for the Philippian believers every time God reminds them of them. Every remembrance, even uh, the, the, the mention of their names, brings a prayer of thanksgiving to Paul's lips. Why was Paul so thankful? Paul reminds us that the Philippians were there to help him in times of need. Paul thanks God because it is God who began this good work in them as he began it in him. And it is God who brought them to the salvation. So Paul is supremely thankful to God for what he has done and is doing in their life. You know, memory is an amazing thing. Aren't you glad that we have a memory? Aren't you glad that God has put things in our memory that, that we can remember times past? It allows us to recall events that occurred in moments of, of, uh, of our life, even years ago. It allows you to remember people who have passed on already into eternity. It allows you to remember the love, the blessings, the joy, the excitement, and the wonder that they brought into your life. Memory is an amazing gift given to us by our Lord. There are many times when memories can fail. Many times when many of us are faltering in our memories. Disease, age, time, all seem to dilute the memory. I was reading something the other day and it said, you know, I was remembering back at something in my life and I, I began to wonder if I was remembering it correctly anymore. I read about an older couple who had trouble remembering the common everyday things of life. So they began to decide, they both said, well, what we're going to do is, is we're going to write down every request the other has so that we're to try not to forget what they want. So one night, the husband and wife were sitting in the living room and she said to her husband, would you like something to eat? He said, yes, I would like a large bowl of ice cream, make it into a sundae with chocolate ice cream and whipped cream and cherry on the top. She jumped up from her chair and headed towards the kitchen and the husband shouted, aren't you going to write it down? Don't be silly, she hollered back. I'm going to fix it right now. I won't forget between now and the kitchen. She was gone for quite a while. And when she had returned, she set down in front of him a large plate of hash browns, eggs, bacon, and a glass of orange juice. He took a look at it and said, I knew you should have written it down. You forgot the toast. Memories are important. And how we remember things are important. And when our memory begins to be faded with time or, or other activities, and we forget what God has done for us, 
we begin to forget how thankful we really are supposed to be. I wonder, does the mere mention of people from your past, believers, does it spur in your heart a spontaneous prayer of thanksgiving to God? I can tell you that there are still a few saints that have gone on that impacted my life when I first got here that are no longer here with us. And when I think about them and when I hear their names, I am reminded that I'm thankful for the, the, the joy, for the help, for the encouragement they gave me when I first came here. I wonder how easily our memory has faded and our praise has been forgotten. Paul prays for the joy for all of them. Paul writes in verse 4, In all my prayers for you, every time I remember you, I give thanks for you. And when I pray for you, I pray with great joy. We mentioned that joy is a prominent theme in the letter here. Here it's making its first appearance. Paul is not only thankful for the Philippians when he prays for them, but he is filled with joy. And he notices it's not just some of his prayers. I want you to look at what verse 4 kind of does for us. And, and, and all through it it says it's in all his prayers. And it's not in just all his prayers for some of them. It's in all of his prayers for all of them. He doesn't just do this sometimes. In all of his prayers, for all of them, he's always praying with joy. I wonder how many of us can say that about our prayer life. And every time I think of you, I'm thankful. And in all my prayers, and all the time, and about all of you, I am joyful that God has placed you into my life. I wonder, how many of us can, can, can right now, today, look around the room at the empty spots that are here and remember who it was that was sitting there just a few months ago that are no longer here? How many of us can remember that there were people, people that we said we loved, that we fellowshiped with, that, that we were glad to be a part of their life, and yet they're no longer with us. And, and I wonder if we even remember them. Let the joy of the Lord and what their impact upon your life cause you to pray for them in such a way, Lord, bring them back to us. Let us do what we must so that we can reach out to them and let them know that we're praying for them. And Paul recounts their partnership together in verse 5. Paul tells the Philippians he thanks God every time he remembers them and in all of his prayers for all of them, he's always praying with, with joy. 
for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What Paul is saying to the church at Philippi was when nobody else would partner up with me to go out and spread the gospel, you were the first church that got behind me and said, we're with you, we're going to support you, we're going to encourage you. We're going with you in prayer and in partnership. Causing Paul to be full of thanksgiving and joy. The word fellowship in the Greek word is the word koinonia. It is the word which speaks of that close partnership and sharing together in ministry. To be a partner in the gospel means that we take part in sharing the gospel with others as well. As believers in Christ, you have received a commission from God just as I have to go out and to take the gospel to all the world to share with everybody that we can about the Savior who has come to save them from their sin. God has begun a good work in you when you receive Jesus Christ, and He's begun a good work in me, and that makes us partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, Paul gives us the third truth that we want to see is that God will finish His work in you and in me. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us? God doesn't just say, well, listen, I tried, but you just stonewalled me. You sat down, and when I said, keep going, you you parked. I'm glad that God doesn't give up on us. And in verse 6, he reminds us, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We're partners in the gospel. We're in a work in progress. And he's going to continue to work on us. Paul is confident of this. uh, The Greek word meaning fully persuaded that God will not cease that He will finish what He has begun. Why? Because what God has started, God will finish. God always finishes everything that He starts. Consider these two truths. God has a good work for you and I to do. I want you to understand that God didn't just call you out of darkness into His marvelous light and say, well, now just sit there and wait for heaven. Just sit on the sidelines. Unfortunately, we've done that to too many people over the years. They've come to the altar and they've asked to ask Jesus into their lives. And and we preachers and teachers have said, well, sit right here and we'll get back to you and help you to, to be a disciple in Christ. And then somebody else comes and we forget all about them. And we tell them, now you sit right there and I'll be back to you just as soon as I can. And somebody else comes and we set them there. And we've got a whole row of people that, that have come to Christ and know not what to do next. It's up to the church to go back and to disciple them and to say, listen, God's got a good work for you. Come alongside me. I will walk with you. I will show you. I will help you. I will point you in the right direction. God has a good work for all of us. He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light so that we can be useful for the kingdom of God. 
Paul wrote it like this in Ephesians as he wrote to that church and encouraged them in Ephesians 2.10. He says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Now, do you hear what Paul said? Before you ever came to him in salvation, before you ever received the, the, the gift of eternal life out of darkness into marvelous light, he said, I knew you. And I had a plan for you. And I have a work for you. And I want to lead you in that work. I want you to be a part of that work. God who has begun a good work in you will carry it to completion until when? Until Jesus comes. He didn't say until the world gets so bad that we don't know what to do anymore. We're already there. He said until Jesus comes. Has Jesus come? No. So that means the church and everyone who is called a saint of God, whoever has been born of God, has a work to do. You didn't just receive Christ to do nothing. And then suddenly you would end up in heaven. No. God is working in you every day to be more and more like Christ. The psalmist said it like this in Psalms 138, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endureth forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. God has a good work for you to do. He has a purpose for you to do it and a will for you to fulfill. The second truth that we need to be reminded is not only does He have a good work for us to do, but God is working in you. As God has a good work for you to do, He's also working in you every day. How is God working in us? The, I want to give you three theological terms that I want you to, to hear this morning that I believe are helpful for every believer to understand. And we oftentimes don't understand these three terms. First, justification. We've read it in the Bible. We know that it's there. We know that the Bible speaks of it. As a matter of fact, Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what does it mean? To be justified means to declare the righteousness in God's sight. In other words, God looks down upon us when we receive Jesus Christ. He no longer sees our sin. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ upon us. And he says there is someone who is righteous. The word righteous simply means right with God. We have been justified, made right by God. Justification has to do with our past. We all have a past. God began the good work in us when we believed in Jesus Christ and therefore we are justified by faith. He begins to work in our past. He begins to replace our past. And then the second term the theological term that we oftentimes don't understand is sanctification. Sanctification. To be sanctified means to be set apart for God's purpose and to grow in holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you. 
he also will do it. Sanctification, my friends, has to do with present. The present tense, where you are right now. What God is doing with you today. See, we've been justified from our past. Our past no longer defines us. We're being sanctified daily, every day. God's saying, listen, I want you to know that I'm working in your life. I am there to, to make you more and more like me every day. God is continuing the work that He has begun in you because you have been justified from your past. You are now being sanctified every day in your life. And here's the third term that we're all looking forward to. Glorification. To be glorified means to be perfected in holiness forever, removed from the power and presence of sin. Paul again wrote this in Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, therefore he also glorified. But what does that really mean? Glorification has to do with our future. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise and those believers still living will be transformed into a glorified being that God has made for all of us. You see, the reality is that when you and I leave this world through the undertaker, we leave in spirit. Our physical remains here. But when Jesus Christ comes back, when He returns for His saints in the end, He says that the dead, those spirits, and those that are alive that would be transferred out spiritually will be transferred out physically and all will receive a glorified body, a physical body in which we will then live for eternity in. Oh, my friends, I wonder if we truly understand what it means to be glorified in Christ. That we have been made in the perfect image of Jesus Christ. Notice the beauty of the last six words of Romans 8.30. Those he justified, he also glorified. Are you in Christ? Are you justified by Christ through faith? Then listen, one day you will stand before the Lord glorified in a glorified body. And then we need to remember God is not only just working on us, but he's working on his church. I'm so glad that God hasn't just said, listen, I'm so busy working on individuals and they're a problem and they're, they're a challenge. But he says, listen, I'm working on you individually because you are a part of a collective, the church. And I'm working on you as a whole so that you can unify together and become that which is the force which will change the world for Christ. God is not only working to complete His good work in you, God is also completing the work that He began in the church. In the book of Acts, the, the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostle in the creation of the New Testament church. And what God began there and what He began to do in the first century, He is doing today in the 21st century. He is continuing to work 
with and through his church. Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1 certainly apply to the individual believers, but make no mistake, he is implying it not only to the individuals, because we are the church. He's addressing the church of Jesus Christ. God has begun a good work in the church of Philippi, and Paul is confident that God will continue that work that he has begun. I believe that God did a great work, begun a great work in Midway Baptist Church many years ago when he laid upon the heart of a few folks in their community and a pastor to say there needs to be a church in this area. Reverend Hart and a few others from the community began the process of putting together and constituting a work that would become Midway Baptist Church. And you know what? God's not finished with us yet. And the opportunity the other day as we were preparing and working through the process of renegotiating our loan to pay off the rest of our mortgage, I had to walk a, an appraiser through the building. And he began to ask me about all the process and the steps. And every time I do, it's a great remembrance for me. I go through the building and I start over there in the basement and I say, this is where the church met to begin. Well, no, they met across the street in, in, in Dean's father's tenant house. And then they moved over here. They built a basement and they, they met until they could afford to put something up top. They built the up top and then, then they wanted to expand and they built the choir loft and they put a, a steeple on the front and then they built a Sunday school wing and then that wasn't big enough. They built another fellowship hall and Sunday school wing and when they outgrew that, then they said, we got to do something. We, we're pushing out the walls and then God gave us this building. And in partnership together, We've seen this building full. And now over the last few years, we've seen it decrease. But I believe that God is not done with us yet. I believe that he still has a great work left to do. And I've got to be honest that there's been a few days, a few weeks, a few months that I have asked the Lord over and over again, am I done here? Have I done everything that I needed to do? Things are not growing, they're declining. Lord, what am I doing? What's going on? And God has given me the, the, the insight to say that it's, I'm not done yet. Partner with me and partner with them. And let me show you what I want to do. So I'm asking you, will you partner with me as we partner with God to see what he wants to do to build back his church? To grow his congregation once again, not mine, not yours, his because I believe that what God has started, God will finish. And God is completing a work here. And he wants you and I to be involved. So let me close with three thoughts. 
Why do these truths matter? Let me close with these three reasons. First, they remind us that we're all in partnership together. That not one person, not the deacons, not the pastor, not even the congregation alone, can do what God wants us to do. We have to partner together. We're in it together in the gospel. It can't be the missionary's job. It can't be the pastor's job. It can't be the deacon's job. It can't be the congregation's job. It must be a partnership together. Second, these truths help us to focus on the task that is at hand. There's a lost and dying world around us. And we have a gospel that changes lives. How do I know? Because it's changed mine. And I hope it's changed yours. If we have a gospel that can change hearts and minds, and I told my Sunday school class this this morning, that if you say that you love somebody then, and you don't share the gospel with them, then my friends, you don't really love them. You might like them, but you don't love them. You see, because if we love somebody, we would tell them what it takes for them to have the eternal life that we've been promised. And then thirdly, these truths give us hope and guard us against the discouragements of life. And let me tell you, there are many, and they're great. And it's easy to overcome. It's easy for discouragement to overcome that which we want to do. It's easy to sit on the sideline and just say, what's the hope? Or what's the reason? What's the purpose? But these truths tell us that God is not finished with us yet. We cannot get discouraged in our personal lives. We cannot get discouraged in our personal growth. We cannot be discouraged as a church when we don't see the numerical growth that we want because God is not finished with us yet. So if he is faithful to complete his work that he has begun in us, he is faithful to complete his work that he has begun in Midway. And the Apostle Paul says that day is not until Jesus Christ comes. So church, my challenge to you is let's be a partner. Let's partner together in the gospel. And that means that every one of us has got to get back to work. There are a lot of areas in our church that we're lacking people to work in. We need workers in the field. We need laborers. We need partners. We can't just throw a little money at it. We've actually got to do it ourselves. We've got to do what God has called us to do. I told you last week, there's nowhere in the Bible that there is an age of retirement for God's children. We work until he comes or until he calls us home. May we partner together in that work. Ron, do we have a song? I think Amazing Grace, isn't it? Couldn't be any better. God's amazing grace. Father, as we transition from the challenge of the word of God, we pray that, uh, Lord, as we sing together, we pray that, Father, that you would speak unto our hearts, O Lord, and that you would move us. If there's one here today that doesn't know you as Savior, the Lord, our greatest desire is that they would come to know 
the one who has saved us from our sin, the one who has set us free. Lord, if there is those that are here today that have been moved and challenged that God is not done with us yet, it's time for us to get off the sidelines and back into the game. I pray that, Father, that we might partner together and see the work that is at hand and do it for the glory of God. For Lord, you didn't give us this building for it to set half full. You gave us this building so that we could fill it and out of it we could flow out into the community and the world around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let your work be completed.